0: made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, Yeah, over to you. SmashingSecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, But for now, back to your normal service and uh, sorry about this interruption. It seems bonkers. I I heard today about a Blockchain, Stop <laughs> Stop there. Stop. a blockchain-assisted karaoke company. <laughs> just solving the problem.
1: <laughs> what problem is there in karaoke that needs to be solved?
0: <laughs> Smashing Security, episode 357. Interview with an iPhone thief. Anti AI, and have we gone too far with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley? Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode three hundred and fifty-seven. My name's Graham Clearly. and I'm Carol Terrio. And cluck, cluck, cluck! Look who has joined us. He's come back for another week. <laughs> the Chicken Man, Chicken Man, Mark Stockley. Hello, Mark. Oh, hi! What an introduction. Cock a doodle doo
1: What a treat it is to see you. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, for any for any for any listeners wondering what my credentials are for appearing on this podcast. <laughs> It's because it's I own chickens. That's, that's
0: what you're saying. I think you're you're more than an owner of chickens. You're an expert in all things hen-based. penetration, <laughs> uh, perhaps. Oh, no, penetration sounds Whoa! a terrible thing. okay, oh, okay. Dear.
2: I think we should kick this show off. But <laughs> first, let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Collide and Vanta. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up in today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to tell you how to steal an iPhone mark what about you
1: i'll be asking have we gone too far
2: (laughs) the answer is surely yes and um, (laughs) i will ask whether it is time for anti-ai all this and much more coming up on this episode of smashing security Now, chums, chums, I don't
0: know if either of you have ever been to London. London, big uh, big uh, city in the centre. It's not that far from us, about a,
2: Yeah, about an hour's yeah. drive, yeah, by train. So, yes. We we've,
0: <laughs> we on the podcast, all of us, have been to London. Some of our listeners in far-flung lands, maybe not. But in London, take heed if you plan to take your smartphone, because someone in London has their iPhone stolen every six Minutes. How many iPhones does
2: this person have?
0: He's getting really annoyed. <laughs> He's getting very, very annoyed. Absolutely sick of it. <laughs> now, it is bad enough that your iPhone can be physically stolen. But, of course, thieves can also do naughty things with your iPhone as well. And that is the topic of my discussion today, is what thieves do to both steal your iPhone and uh, what they can do afterwards and maybe how you can better protect yourself into the future as well. So there was a video which came out by the Wall Street Journal just before Christmas where they interviewed an iPhone thief in his prison cell. He'd been sent away for something, I don't know, like seven or eight years or something uh, for his part in an iPhone theft gang.
2: Aaron Johnson is due to spend the next several years at this high-security prison because he stole hundreds of iPhones and from them, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He exploited a vulnerability in Apple's software, the same vulnerability I've been investigating for the last year. He grabbed the phone and then disappeared. Along with others, Johnson, seen here in red, would target people in and around bars in Minneapolis to get their phones and their passcodes.
0: Was it a phone interview? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, this was, this was in person. He was in front
2: of a camera. He did this. <laughs> um, can I ask, does this have anything to do with the settings on your phone? Or is this is, is going to be the big reveal later? We are going to be
0: talking about iPhone settings later okay. on. So, crawl, I would actually like you to reach for your iPhone. Mark, you can as well if you own an iPhone. Yeah. Turn it on. Don't accept any calls because I will be telling you later what settings you should change on your iPhone. So, ready yourself.
2: I'm ready. I'm ready. All right.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So this chap was interviewed and he explained what he did. Well, what he did was he went out with a couple of his mates and they go out and hang out in bars where they were sort of young, drunken people. You know, people who were partying, people, you know, having a good time, maybe slightly inebriated already.
2: Did these guys fit into this environment or did they stand out like two sore thumbs? Oh, no, you know? no, no, no. They they
0: they, they 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 fitted in quite well. It's not like he's
2: 86, right? No, 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 no,
0: no, no. He, he was... Of, <laughs> Similar demographic.
1: Okay, he's got a black mask with a couple of <laughs> eye holes cut in it. It's got some sort of gim- stripey jumper. <laughs> it's not, oh, I see. you. I thought you were talking about gimps or some sort of sex
0: club. No, it's, of course you did, Graham.
2: Of course but, you did. Uh,
0: no, he hasn't got a swag bag or anything like that. But th- there he is, right? He's just he's hanging out and he's pretending that he has drugs to sell. It turns out he didn't actually have any drugs at all, but he's sort of pretending, right? Saying, "Oh yeah, I've got, I've got a bit of Shatner's bassoon, jazz, cigarettes." <laughs> exactly. That, well, maybe something a little bit stronger as well. So right. he's, he's suggesting that he has drugs to sell, and so he bumps into some young person who wants some drugs for the night.
2: Right? And
0: uh, he says, "Look, uh, look, I, I can get you some drugs and things." He says, um, "Why don't you take down my details?" And so the other person gets his phone out to write down his details. And, you know, he's, he's got complicated details. He, sa- he says, let me have your phone. Let me type it in for you. Mm-hmm. Right? And, of course, this inebriated person, this student who's having a great time, with them, says, sure, maybe unlocks his phone, hands it over. Right. And after he's handed it over, the guy who's planned to steal it says, oh, it's locked. So he, he just quickly locks the phone. He says, "Locked. locked. What, what's your passcode? And people... Desperate for a bit of Colombian blacktail. Uh, actually, I think that's a type of free-range egg, isn't it? Yes. Rather than a, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's for you. That's for you, Mark. That's for you, Mark. You know, when the munchies hit, the munchies hit. Like, you need what you need. <laughs> need some scrambled egg. Um, anyway, so so before he poaches the phone, um, so he, he asks. He says, "What's your passcode?" He says, "What's your passcode?" And people might just hand it over, and they may take back the phone and type it. But at that point, he watches them enter it. Or, of course, people just say, oh, it's 2264813 or something like that, right? And so they enter their passcode. So the villain now knows the passcode, and he knows what it is. They're in a bar. The phone user's been drinking, already drunk. They're having a bit of a chit-chat, and uh, they're distracting him. And at an opportune moment, the thief just passes the phone to one of his mates, and vumpf, it's gone.
2: The guy doesn't go, can I have my phone back?
0: No, well, well, maybe he does. And he's like, I haven't got your phone. I, I gave it back to you. I put it in your pocket or whatever. I put it down here. Where's it gone? You know, you create a distraction. You make yourself scarce. It's a hubbling, bubbling kind of place. That's a
2: good way to get a punch in the face, I think. Well, I don't know. Mark, what do you think?
1: Well, it turns out it's also a good way to get an iPhone. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: It depends what you're after.
2: Yeah, because I suppose you don't have the iPhone anymore. You've handed it over to your mate. They've scarpered exactly. and you're It's fucked. not, I yeah. haven't
0: got it on me. Check me, you right. know, look in my pockets. I haven't got anything. Sorry, mate. You know, I don't know what happened to her or whatever. Anyway, immediately after the phone is stolen, what these guys do is they reset the passcode and they turn off, find my iPhone. So that means that the genuine owner of the phone can't remotely track it or erase the device. Mm -hmm. And to do this, all you need is the passcode to do this. The real owner no longer has any access to his phone. The next thing which the thieves do is they replace the real owner's face from Face ID and replace it with their own.
2: This is my phone, right? You've gotten to my settings. Where are you going from here?
0: So then I go add my face on there, on the Face ID verification. Now when you got your face on there, you got the key to everything.
2: So what are you opening?
0: Things that people thought were safe. Like? Savings, checkings, cryptocurrency apps. Venmo. Venmo, PayPal, yeah. You don't need face for none of that. That's kind of little money. I'm trying to take as much as I can. What this thief says is there are some things where maybe the face isn't enough to unlock it. But quite typically, codes and passwords would be stored unprotected inside users' Notes app. So they would just keep, in plain text, in their Notes app, the one which regularly comes with the iPhone, a password, a passcode, something to unlock some account would often be there.
2: So you would have a lot of fun searching my notes for any information like that because there's about <laughs> 8 billion entries. So enjoy that one. Really disorganized, is it? Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you might have an entry which is Facebook colon and then your Facebook password. You know, some people might From have that. So you'd
2: just be able to. maybe 2005, well, <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> maybe that's a bad example. But you could search for a word like Facebook. The other thing which people do is sometimes they store those kind of passwords in their photos. So they take a photograph of something think oh yeah well I'll put it in this folder and people won't look to look there but the thieves do look in those kind of places in order to find this stuff but now now they've unlocked your phone now they have control over your phone they can buy stuff they can do stuff with Apple Pay and they can ultimately after they've caused their shenanigans after they've logged into your bank account or done other things which they're now able to do because they've set their biometrics up on your phone they may ultimately wipe your iPhone sell it to someone else which makes them 900 dollars. Fun. So the problem is, the weak link is the passcode, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you mm-hmm. unlocked the phone, and then, with that information which you've either given this guy who you innocently thought was going to sell you drugs, or maybe some <laughs> some lovely free-range eggs, mm-hmm. has instead actually scarpered off with it and now has access to your online accounts. Well, about a week or so ago, a new version of the iPhone operating system came out called 17.3, iOS Mm 17.3. And it has a new security feature that many people might benefit from. And this is why, Carol, I've told you to get your iPhone out because Apple has not turned this on by default. And I'm recommending that everyone who has an iPhone turns this on because I think this is a good security feature it is called stolen device protection and what it does is it requires you to use face id touch id you know some form of biometrics to unlock all the kinds of settings on your phone rather than your passcode okay so your passcode mm-hmm. won't be enough and this is specifically for when your phone is away from your workplace or your home so your iphone has a way of learning This is where he goes to work. This is where he is at home, by the regularity, I guess, of where you are. This
2: is really, this is irritating for me. Why is that? (laughs) Because I don't use Face ID or Touch ID.
0: Oh, okay. You just use a code?
2: I use a code. Mm. I don't use a four-digit code. It's longer than that, and it's a pain in the ass to get in and out of my phone. But then that's probably why I use it less than most people. Right. yeah.
1: There's another setting for people like you. Mm. And that is simply just don't say your passcode out loud to drug dealers. Right. Yeah, maybe don't buy drugs, girl.
2: Okay. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. What if
1: you do, don't take your iPhone.
2: Don't go clubbing. Don't home. get
0: drunk. Don't bring your iPhone. Bring your 1990s Nokia with you instead.
2: Live a boring life. Okay, I will. I will. I am, in So,
0: so if you're not in a familiar location known to your iPhone, Mm. you'll be forced to wait for an hour before changing the passcode, or turning off Find My iPhone, or adding new biometrics like a new face to the phone, which gives, obviously, the person who's lost the phone the opportunity to set up the lost mode. To remotely wipe the device and do all kinds of other things if they want to.
2: So they just have to wait an hour.
0: Well, yeah, the the criminal has to wait an hour, but that's critical because normally they find they have to do these things immediately.
2: Otherwise, they won't be able to get back in. They
0: are locked out. So this biometric time delay means your passcode won't be enough to turn off lost mode. It won't be enough to erase the phone. It won't be enough to access passwords or passkeys saved in keychain. It won't let you. uh, Look at uh, payment methods stored in Safari Autofill. Uh, the crooks won't be able to add their own face-to-face ID. They won't be able to add their fingerprints as they don't have your existing biometrics. So they would have to steal you and maybe chop off your finger as well or something like that in order to unlock your phone. Or take your eyeball. I suppose. That, that
1: doesn't work either, does it? Well, no, just, actually. Just I, for, I, any,
2: for any, no. for any <laughs> drug planning. dealer slash iPhone thieves listening. <laughs> sharpening spoons out there yeah
0: <laughs> yeah the i think i think apple touch id is meant to be able to tell that it's not a uh it's not a live finger isn't it
2: yeah
1: yeah so maybe like a yeah i don't know how long the finger has to be detached for in order for there's definitely something there's definitely something that's trying to work out there's if you're definitely alive something, isn't it
0: yes that's yeah. right yes yes So unlike now, you or your thief won't be able to fall back to the passcode entry to make those changes unless you're at your home or you're at your workplace. And of course, hopefully, crow, you are not losing your phone to thieves inside your home.
2: I doubt anyone would want my phone. It's quite an old model, (laughs) you know? (laughs) This podcast isn't purely for you, Carl. Well, you just keep bringing me up. I mean, you know. Well,
0: I'm just giving you an example. Okay. I still think you should turn this on. Actually, you haven't even got bloody face ID and no. biometrics turned on, have you? So this isn't... Right. So for everybody else...
2: <laughs> every other human every... on the planet.
0: For every other human on the planet <laughs> who actually uses their phone, you can update to iOS 17.3. You should hopefully have already done that for now. And you can turn on stolen device protection in settings. So you go into settings. You tap Face ID and Passcode. You go into that menu. You'll have to enter your device passcode and then simply toggle Stolen Device Protection on.
2: Yeah. And if it's not there, you maybe didn't update your phone yet and naughty, naughty, chop, chop.
0: Or you've still got an iPhone 4 and it doesn't support yeah. it or something like that.
2: That's right.
1: I think there's an even more interesting story in a story here. Okay. Because the setting is great. I think this is a great little step forward because you're already protected, like unless you're actually sharing your passcode or somebody's watching you, like somebody gets your iPhone, it's basically locked. You you know, they've got 10 chances to unlock it, which they're not gonna manage to do, and they can't get stuff out of it because it's all encrypted. So your iPhone's already pretty safe. It's only for that fairly narrow situation where you're actually somebody managed to get your passcode as well. What's really interesting about this to me is that there are now settings where the biometrics are the gatekeepers and not the passcode so for the whole time that we've been dealing with biometrics it's always been the case that the biometric is backed up by a passcode or some sort of Mm. entry of a code of some kind Uh, a a passcode is a yes no answer you either get the passcode right or you get it wrong but a biometric is a a kind of okay we think it's you like there's a high chance it's you so it's a very different kind of assessment and we just didn't know 10 years ago 12 years ago we just didn't know how effective biometrics were going to be or how reliable they were going to be and apple have now had biometrics on phones for at least a decade starting with touch id And they sell billions of these things. Mm. So there are millions and millions and millions or hundreds of millions of phones out there that people have been using with biometrics for a decade. So Apple must have an enormous amount of data about how effective biometrics are. And they've taken this step now, which is the first time I can remember anybody doing it, of saying, actually, the passcode is backed up by the biometric rather than the biometric being backed up by the passcode. And that, I think, is the thin end of a wedge that leads to passcodeless authentication. Because it's saying we we trust the biometric even more than we trust the passcode, which they would have good reason to determine Mm. uh, that they can, then it seems to me that this could easily be a prototype for, all right, okay, well, we're going to let the biometric be the way that you access other sensitive things. And ultimately, that leads to not having a passcode on the phone at all. And I, I think we've spent enough time with biometrics now to know that actually they're pretty reliable. Um, mm. and that that could be where this goes. Yeah,
2: maybe, but it's interesting it's coming along at a time when you know we can trust images and visual representations of people less and less, <laughs> thanks to deep fakes and other AI tomfoolery. But that
1: goes back to the alive thing with the finger like the, these things there's there's so much more going on than it just looking at like I can't just hold up a photo of Graham. And log into his phone with Face ID, like it's actually trying to work out that you're a real person, and the same with the finger. Yes,
0: you you have you have to stick the picture of me on the front of a balloon, I think, to make it appear a little bit. Yeah,
1: or wear it as a mask. <laughs> yes,
0: have it have it bobbling around a little bit to make it more convincing.
2: Hi, hi everybody.
0: <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see if Android adopts a similar feature. I suspect they might in the coming months, so we we'll have to see that. But certainly for. Our iPhone-loving listeners out there, I think this may be a sensible setting for them to turn on, particularly that guy in London who keeps losing his phone every six <laughs> minutes. Mark, what have you got for us this week?
1: I've got a question. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you today, have
2: we gone too far? Yeah, Frequently. The answer is Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: mostly on your episodes
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you but i find myself increasingly looking at technology and thinking have we gone too far <laughs> like is this is this actually useful is this even harmful and perhaps more often than both of those are we actually allowed to be in charge of this stuff like who who left us in charge i mean when you think about modern technology it's the sum of thousands and thousands of years of this accumulated science and engineering like all this human Mm. endeavour, and it's each generation learning from the previous generation. Nobody's just inventing things from scratch. Like for most of our history, uh, flint napping was the absolute pinnacle of technology, you know, for millions of years. And then it took a very, very long time for us to get to things like pencils and chairs. So we had all this time to kind of get used to this newfangled technology and like figure out how to use it and what was safe and all this kind of thing. Um, I
0: still haven't completely worked out how to use a chair.
1: But I, I am,
0: I am alarmed that it appears Elon Musk is in charge, and is now implanting things in people's brains. That seems that seems a concern.
1: I thought you were trying to say that Elon Musk was in charge of your chairs, and that's why you oh. couldn't sit. on... Give him time. Give him time. Well, you can't pin that one on him. Okay, not yet. He's absolutely responsible for Twitter, but your inability to sit in a chair is that's, that's between you and your parents, I'm afraid. Anyway, what am I trying to say? Um, so yeah so it used to be that we have plenty of time to keep up with these innovations. but now these days I'm often left with this kind of nagging sense that modern technology has far exceeded our individual competence. I've had a fairly rudimentary car and every time I sit in my car like, I know that my level of driving is not up to the level of engineering of my car. you know I mm-hmm. barely I barely kind of scratch the surface of what my laptop can do um and i yeah. just i just kind of feel like you know we we're not designed for like facebook and nuclear weapons and things like that i just feel like we're kids that have been left at home by our parents with like 200 cigarettes and some heavy machinery or something like that <laughs> so anyway I, I you can see where i'm going with all of this so today i want to play a game called have we gone too far Ooh. um and i want to start by introducing you to a company called parabon nanolabs
2: Parabon Nanolabs.
1: Which describes itself as a vertically integrated DNA technology company.
2: Vertically integrated. Yeah. Okay. This feels like corporate bingo. Do you want me to spell it? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to make sense of the fucking words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> it seems bonkers. I, I heard today about a
0: blockchain... Stop there. <laughs> stop, a blockchain-assisted karaoke company. <laughs>
1: just solving the... Problem. <laughs> What problem is there in karaoke that needs to be solved?
0: <laughs> no, for real. There there is. It is a Korean crypto karaoke platform called something. Uh, and they so, and they've just
1: been hacked. No, I think oh, this is a, this is a great example. Have we gone too far? <laughs> what is this? What is this? Who asked for this? I, I fear there's a
2: there's a midlife crisis happening right live on the show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're witnessing it. Oh, It's the old Douglas Adams thing, isn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> anything anything that exists when you're born is oxygen and everything else is just <laughs> terrifying and needs to be burned. Um, so, yeah, so Paraban, yes. Paraban Nanolabs, they're a vertically integrated DNA technology company, and it does lots of things. And one of the things it does is it helps the police by linking DNA and genealogical data to
2: help solve cold cases. Oh, okay sounds like a good idea. I'm sure everybody who has a family member, however distant, who's done some crap, loves being part of this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyway, so I'll
1: give you an example. This is an easy one to start with. So in 2019, an 82-year-old handyman was arrested for a rape and a double murder that he had committed 43 years earlier, thanks to Parabon Labs. So the police were able to track him down after the lab's Uploaded some DNA from the crime scene to a public genealogy website called Gedmatch, which does look like genealogy and family trees. Yeah. And this established a family link to the Green Bay area in Wisconsin. And police zeroed in on the area, and they got a DNA sample. This is quite fun. This they got a DNA sample from the suspect by asking him to fill out a a policing survey, and then he had to put the <laughs> policing survey in an envelope and lick on lick, <laughs> yeah, to lick, lick the, the envelope.
2: envelope. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing to do with the survey. I always use a wet sponge. Or your pet
0: dog. You could use that if you really want to mix <laughs> up right. the DNA test.
1: So the police cracked a cold case using Parabank Nanolabs and an envelope. Hmm. Seems like a good thing, right? Good thing? Seems like it. If, good if thing, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Here's another one. Okay. So there are other things that you can do with DNA to catch crooks. And Paraben Nanolabs will do those too. And one of the things it can do is it will produce what it calls a snapshot phenotype report, which tells you what you can learn about someone's appearance from their DNA. Ooh. And in fact, they did this for police back in 2017 um, in trying to identify the killer of a woman who'd been murdered 30 years earlier. Wow. So the police sent the lab dna from a crime scene and the company's ai algorithm because you know we weren't going to get through the story without mentioning an ai <laughs> algorithm um predicted mm-hmm. that the murderer was male had fair skin with no freckles brown eyes brown hair and bushy eyebrows and just to clarify Paraban nanolabs was helping them it didn't help them solve the case it was just helping them Pointed them in the right direction. Get that but, far, yeah, yeah.
2: But with thirty years under the guy's belt, surely he's maybe gone a bit grey. Like you know,
0: oh, well done, Kroll. Very, very, very good, good point. Point.
2: That's a good point. That's a good point. So
0: um, <laughs> maybe his eyebrows will have molted a little as well.
2: <laughs> so what's happening, Grim? <laughs>
0: that might need get longer. But
1: you know, so now, now we can say, you know, thanks to the DNA, we can say at least the murderer is male. They've got fair skin, they don't have freckles, they've got brown eyes, they've got brown hair, they've got bushy eyebrows. That sounds pretty useful,
0: right? Right. I'm beginning to be, feel a little bit worried. I, maybe it's your mention of the words, you know, artificial intelligence in there. <laughs> I
1: just to think, well, <laughs> well it's that- interesting, interesting that you just <laughs> mentioned that because I, I had the same reaction. As, so, like, I mean, the good thing is, like, now the police have an idea about what this person probably looks like, or at least they've got an idea, like, what an AI thinks mm. this person looks like. And that might be useful, right? Might be. Descriptions of crooks based on DNA?
2: Good thing? Bad thing? As long as hallucinations don't get in there. If
0: they have done a test on billions of people's DNA mm. and found it to be you know 99% reliable or something or let's hope actually a much larger percentage than 99% reliable <laughs> then then that that would be a good thing you know that if it was beyond reasonable doubt and say yes we we are absolutely certain this isn't someone who's blue-eyed but someone who's brown-eyed then that would be helpful i suppose
1: yeah you could imagine how that might help police with their inquiries as yeah. the saying goes now i left out a detail about the report that the labs produces mm. so Um, the AI doesn't just produce a description of the person it it also creates a 3D render of their face so you can actually see what the AI is guessing the person looks like Um, tell me you
2: have some examples (laughs)
1: So the lab produced this 3D render of what they thought the murderer looked like. And then they they added some bits, too, because the DNA can't tell you about things like, you know, hairstyles and things like that. So the lab had uh, a forensic artist add in uh, a haircut uh, and a moustache.
2: <laughs> right. Of course, a moustache. they got them
1: from witness statements so it's not without not without reason right and the company to your earlier point the company produced two versions they produced one of the guy aged 25 and another one of the guy aged 55 and the police actually published those faces in an attempt to jog uh, the public's memory and i should mention as well to be fair that the 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 police are well aware that these might not be accurate so in the i read a local news report from the local paper and they had actually they told the local papers at the east bay times that the composites were uh, scientific approximations and not likely to be exact replic- replicas and of course environmental factors like smoking and drinking and diet and other things can't be predicted by dna Although I think even that, that's an interesting question, because I can imagine that in future we we might try to make predictions like that, you know, based on your DNA, you have a propensity to addiction and therefore, you know, you are probably
2: eat too um, many pizzas. You
1: know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, you're into this. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe you're overweight. And, I, you know, so I can see a future where we do actually try and make those predictions. I think this is um, that's where yeah. this slippery slope leads. So where are you at now? What do you think now? Good thing? Bad thing? How are you feeling about this technology? Feel <laughs> feel a little bit queasy,
2: a little bit, <laughs> a little bit nervous. Why? How are you feeling about this, Carol? Uh... Oh, no, no. I'm totally comfortable with all new tech. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not being set up here at all. <laughs> now,
1: should I mention, it may, may help your queasiness, Graham, if I just mentioned that um, this technology obviously hasn't been peer-reviewed. So I mean, it sounds it sounds science based, right? Like Paraben Labs have tested this. And- well, they have labs. They, they, the fact
0: they have labs in their name that make, makes me think they're proper scientists. They're experts. Yeah.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, just to be clear, we're not saying they're not experts. No, <laughs> we're not saying they aren't scientists. So they don't have a lab, and they have tested this, and obviously they think that it works, uh, and they're, they're happy enough to to sell this uh, to the police. Um, But it it hasn't been peer-reviewed. So maybe it's really accurate. And maybe it isn't.
2: Yeah, a lot of stuff is not peer-reviewed. It's like you're taking their word for it, I guess. Or the cop's word as well. Users, the customer's testimonials, right? Yeah.
0: Or... Our podcast is (laughs) peer-reviewed. (laughs) <laughs> have you done a double blind trial of this podcast? We've, we've, <laughs> how do you do that? We have had a lot we've had lots of reviews on Apple Podcasts, good and bad, and you know, uh, generally people like us, of those people who choose to listen and leave a review. Well,
2: they like one of us. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. definitely how you do a door, double blind. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of them prefer Carole
1: to me. Yeah. But <laughs> other than that. <laughs> so so, any, so anyway, the technology hasn't been peer reviewed. Um, and maybe it's like maybe it's like face recognition. Maybe it is really good at white people. Um, you know, you don't know. Like sometimes these things have, depending on the training data, mm. there can be kind of blind spots and weak spots and things like that. We just don't know, um, and we shouldn't forget again to your earlier point, Graham, that this was all done by a machine learning model. Um, and machine learning models suffer from what we call black, the black box problem, which means. That we don't actually know how they make decisions we know that if you feed in a certain type of input you'll get a certain type of output but we don't actually know what's going on under the hood to the point where we can say okay well it decided that this person looks like this based on the dna because it, it made these specific decisions mm. so it's it's already looking pretty obscure which doesn't mean it doesn't work but it is a very opaque process now Mm. that said that said i think it's important to remember that we trust witnesses and sketch artists and they come up with pictures of what suspects look like and there's no science at work there at all
2: no so it's like nose is is a bit bigger a little bit bigger (laughs) bigger smaller yeah
1: So while I share your queasiness, Graham, I'm also sat here thinking: is this method actually any worse than just you know? But it's not like it's
2: not going to be used on its own. This tool it will be used presumably with other tried and tested methodologies in order to, you know, find someone guilty of a crime. No. Yeah, we'd all like to believe that's how police work goes on. Yeah, no, (laughs) I choose. I
1: I choose to believe that you're right all we can say is that in this instance they they they've created these two renderings and they published them in the newspaper in an attempt to get people to come forward so presumably at that point then they would be using other evidence perhaps like the dna evidence that we were talking about earlier which has got a little bit more rigor behind it um but actually this story doesn't Actually, it didn't quite finish there um, because evidently the police didn't get any consequential leads from the renderings. And in 2020, so three years later, a detective contacted the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center, which is a place that facilitates uh, collaboration between different law enforcement, and I guess has access access to some technology. And they said, I've got a photo of a possible suspect, meaning this rendering. And we'd like to use facial recognition technology to identify a suspect <laughs> or lead.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Huh? Um, now, so so we don't know what happened next because we only know about this because it was part of a big big data leak, and and this happened to be one of the pieces of information. This request happened to be one of the pieces of information. So we don't know we don't know what happened after this. We don't know if they ran the facial recognition, but we know they wanted to. Um, we don't know if it led to anything, but we also don't know how commonplace this is.
0: Yeah. This and is insane. I mean, it's, it's madness words. enough if it only happened <laughs> once, but the thought that it could be, it could have happened more than once, of people taking an image generated by a computer based on someone's spit, and then someone else <laughs> says, "Oh well, I'll run that through the facial recognition database and see who we come up with."
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's.
0: You like you're, it. You're okay, you're, you're okay. You like. With you this. You're, you're you're comfortable with
2: this? No, I don't like it. I don't like it, but I can see. There's also a problem of innocent people going to jail a lot. You know, that sucks. And if that, you know, so there's pros and cons to this method, I'm sure. But it is scary. Of course, it's
1: scary. So this makes me really queasy, really queasy, because basically what we're talking about is how do you feel about an AI, which is a black box, generating a guess about what somebody looks like? Remember, it's not just saying, oh, they've got brown hair. It's saying they look like this. Here is a picture of their face. And then another AI takes that and makes a guess about who that resembles i mean mm. you know this we do this at a time when we have uh, governments all around the world or sort of local municipalities and local governments and things banning the use of facial recognition which by itself has proved to be really problematic because of things like biases in the training data and, and we've got the, you know there's an old saying graham will know this because He's even older than I am, but there's an old saying in computing, garbage in, garbage out. Um and the the concern is like I don't think so. It's actually against Parabon Nanolab's terms of service to do this. So just like the police in the police report were fully aware that the rendering that was produced was not like, it's not likely to be an exact replica of the person. It's there to jog someone's memory. Mm. Paraban Nanolabs understand the limits of what they're producing. And so it's not supposed to be used for things like facial recognition. The problem seems to be, according to Wired, certainly, which is where I discovered the story, that there are no federal rules that limit the types of images that police can use with face recognition software. So it can use fake AI pictures... Seemingly, yes. And it's not just Mm. fake AI pictures. So um, law enforcement agencies have used blurry surveillance camera shots, manipulated photos of suspects. Uh, The sketches made by artists have been run through photo recognition. And my favourite one, they've even used a picture of Woody Harrelson because in one case the suspect (laughs) looked like Woody Harrelson. So they ran that through. So, And this is what I was talking about at the beginning. Like, you know, are we really... You know, are we allowed to use this stuff?
0: Suddenly, a blockchain-based social karaoke platform (laughs) doesn't seem such a bad idea.
2: (laughs) Crow, what have you got for us this week? Oh, I'm going to lighten this up a little bit, I think. I've got some images here uh, from the New York Times of people, of people's faces. And uh, some of them are real. Some of them may be AI-generated. It's the AI show today. And you guys are going to tell me what you think. Okay, so fake or real? Is this a real person or is this a fake headshot of somebody? Someone completely made up. And you guys are pretty bright, right? You're pretty bright and all stuff digital. So let's put your expert eyes to the test and see if you can identify Mm -hmm. if someone is real or fake
0: so we've got number one play along if you like at home while you're listening
2: (laughs) well you can because the link's in the show notes and you can go do oh okay
0: okay yes you can
2: (laughs) so you've got number one you've got a young guy here and basically you know is he a real guy or is he a fake guy
0: he's got a light beard i'm gonna say fake
2: you're gonna say fake fake okay what about you mark i'm saying ai okay you're both wrong he's real Next. No. Was this made by AI, fake or real? Another guy, another chap. Fake. Fake? Same, I'm saying I'm saying real. Okay, it's fake. It's fake. 92% of people got that one wrong. The first one, 86% of people got that wrong. Okay, next one. Okay, AI or fake? She looks a
0: bit
1: scary. She does look a little bit scary. I'm going to say fake. I think I think she looks like she was generated by AI and I'm now getting the feel for where this is going. So I'm going to say that she's real.
2: She's fake. <laughs> <laughs> and 84% of people got it wrong. Okay, next one. We've got two more. Next one. We've got a nice lady here with some glasses on. Fake. I'm
1: saying fake. She's definitely real.
2: She's definitely real. She's definitely real. Okay, Mark. She's fake. 93% of people got it wrong. And finally, finally, the last one, and a middle-aged guy. Old
0: fella. Looks like he's been out for a run. He's regretting it.
2: He's looking a little stressed.
0: Yeah, he's looking exhausted. He's definitely fake. Fake.
2: He's real. Fake. Oh, No. Okay, so... Well done, Mark. So, so, um, participants were also asked to indicate how sure they were in their selections, right? So, are you really sure? And researchers found that the higher confidence correlated with a higher chance of being wrong. Oh. In other words, misguided with confidence.
1: (laughs) You're not the first person to say that
2: to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, apparently research published across multiple studies found that faces of white people, one of you mentioned this earlier, I think it was Mark in your story, faces of white people created by AI systems are typically perceived as more realistic than genuine photographs of white people. It's a phenomenon called hyper-realism, okay, this is according to the New York Times, and this hyper-realistic face idea. These faces tend to be less distinctive, researchers say. And so they kind of closely average out the proportions. And because of that, they fail to arouse suspicions amongst participants. Because we te- we seem to fixate on features that drift away from average proportions. So if someone has a big hook nose, you'd be like, oh, look at the nose, gotta be fake, gotta be fake, mm. or a misshapen ear. Interesting, huh? Hmm. So takeaway one, don't believe anything you can see online again. <laughs> but as we know, it's not just imagery. It's also AI-generated text. So just last September, a study led by two experts in applied linguistics conducted some research to see if their counterparts could tell the difference between a research abstract written by a student, a human, or a machine. Um and this is not a bad idea, because if anybody's going to be able to identify human-produced writing, it should be an expert in linguistics, right? That's, that's what they do. They spend their careers studying patterns in language and other aspects of human communication. You'd like to think so. Right. Well, each expert was asked to examine four writing samples and had to identify whether it was machine-made or human-made. None correctly identified all four, mm-hmm. and 13% got them all wrong. Mm. And based on the, you know, the larger findings, links in the show notes, the researchers concluded that professors mm. would not be able to distinguish between a student's own writing and the writing generated by an AI-powered language, such as ChatGPT, without the help of software that hasn't yet been developed. And maybe that's the key, right? Like some authentication or defensive tools, some anti-AI, if you will. I'm sure. I'm sure
1: somebody released something like that last year.
2: Yeah, but I, it's not. I, I don't know of it being used. Like are colleges being able to use this stuff, and probably they are. There's probably some tools out there, but without the tools, basically research is saying we have no hope in hell. And our little experiment here with the two of you showed that as well.
1: I don't know. I don't know how far it went, but the research I saw last year it was about it was about identifying patterns in language produced by AI, and um, because there are patterns, just like anything else, there are patterns in the way that it. Like you say, with the photographs, it's producing an average uh, of, of all the text that it's read. Composite. So, yes, it's a composite of everything that's read. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so there are things within that that another AI can spot. Yeah. But then you're you're in the hands of like, well, let's hope our AI works better than their Compounding AI. Compounding
2: the AI-ness. Um, just this past week, there was a report from GCHQ's National Cyber Security Center's chief, Lindy Cameron, Um, And she's warning that AI is going to make the digital landscape much harder to protect. I think all three of us would agree with that. Yes, Yes. Um, Yes. She says, uh, quote, the emergence uh, use of AI in cyber attacks is evolutionary, not revolutionary, meaning that it enhances existing threats like ransomware, but does not transform the risk landscape in the near term. What do you think about that?
0: I wonder what she means by near term. How long is that?
2: Well, it's it's really complicated because the thing is, while well, ChatGPT's rules prohibit its use for spam or generating malicious code and all this stuff, researchers have found a way to bypass these controls.
1: I found a way to bypass these controls. It's not it's not hard. Yeah, <laughs> I I wrote an article about three months ago. I got um, ChatGPT three to write some ransomware for me. Did you? And it was it was absolutely terrible. It was garbage. You would you would have to be <laughs> a good enough programmer to write ransomware in order to put together the kind of fragments of nonsense that, that it spat out and then i repeated it six months later with chat gpt4 and let me tell you chat gpt4 is really good mm. at writing ransomware and there it, it, were mm. there were some controls in place that were designed to stop you so you said you can't just rock up and say write me some ransomware because it'll go hang on i'm not allowed to do that but what what i was able to do is just say okay well what does ransomware do okay it does x y z so i said right write me a computer program that does x and it said fine and then it said right add y yep. and then it, okay fine add z and i just added all of the common features that you find in ransomware and then it, made it and then i executed it on my uh, on a virtual machine to make sure it worked and it did jesus so yeah it will absolutely hmm. help you write malware and the danger there is is not that it's like things like, like ransomware's feature complete so if you look at the actual the actual ransomware executables they haven't changed very much in several years because they do everything that the crooks need them to do mm. so it's very unlikely that ai is going to come along and this is maybe we haven't seen an explosion of ai in cybersecurity certainly not in the on, in the amongst cyber criminals because at the moment, they just don't seem to need it. So, so ransomware does what it needs to do. So you're not going to get an AI come along and write a better ransomware because it's not going to get much better than it is. But what it might do is lower the bar and allow people who couldn't otherwise get in to the field to get in and actually write some piece of um, usable uh, computer program.
0: And, and maybe also increase the scale of it. So, at the moment, we see things like pig butchering scams and romance yeah. scams which are going on. And I can imagine that people could, you know, a gang could perhaps use AI to target many, many, many thousands more people at the same yeah. time and have their AIs producing the responses to the messages which this person who's fallen in love with them is giving them. I can imagine that happening, maybe not so far down the track.
2: mm Well, we're kind of fucked, I think. So uh, this has been a really fun episode. I don't even have good news at the end of this, other than to say maybe it's high time we take a page of Socrates' book, according to Plato, and basically say, like the true wise recognize that they know absolutely F.A. And uh, I'm becoming a serious wise-ass, guys.
1: (laughs) That's very very deep, Carol. So what you're saying is that Socrates said, uh, I think we've gone too far.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by Collide. Wouldn't it be great if a device which lacked compliance or lacked security was denied access to your organization's SaaS apps and other resources? Because this would mean that the hackers who had nabbed the unlucky employee's credentials, for example, could not gain access to your assets. It would effectively lock them out. Welcome to Collide, a world where access is only given to approved, secure devices. As the administrator, you can manage every operating system, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Another bonus of Collide, employees can often fix their own problems without involving IT support, meaning less resources are needed to effectively operate a more secure environment. Collide is the device trust solution for companies with Okta. Collide ensures that if a device is not trusted or it's insecure, it is denied access to your cloud apps. Learn more at collide.com slash smashing. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And huge thank you to Collide for sponsoring the show.
0: Shortcut compliance without shortchanging security. That's what Vanta can bring your company, expanding the scope of your security program with Vanta's market leading compliance automation, saving your business time and money. Vanta has over 5,000 customers around the globe who are saving over 300 hours in manual work and up to 85% of their costs for SOC 2. ISO 27001, HIPAA, GDPR, Custom Frameworks, and more. And with Vanta's 200-plus integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. From the most in demand frameworks to third party risk management and security questionnaires, Vanta gives SaaS businesses of all sizes one place to manage risk and prove security in real time. And as a special bonus, Smashing Security listeners can get a stonking 20% off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com slash smashing to claim your discount. That's V A N T A dot slash smashing and thanks to Vanta for supporting the show and welcome back and you join us at our favorite part of the show the part of the show that we like to call pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like could be a funny story a book that they've read a tv show a movie a record a podcast a website or an app whatever they like it doesn't have to be security related necessarily better not be well, my pick of the week this week is security Uh-oh. related uh, and I'm not ashamed to say it. And my choice this week comes about because I was contacted by a loyal listener to the show, Alan Liska, and he told me about a radio drama series, which used to be on in the 1940s and early, uh, all the way through to the early 60s, actually, called Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Oh, never heard of it. Which was The yeah. Adventures the adventures of a Private Insurance Investigator with an action-packed expense account. That's how it was <laughs> promoted. That's what people did in the old days, folks, for their entertainment. Well, this uh, the tales of this private insurance investigation, it's now all f- the character's fallen into the public domain, which has meant that Alan and some of his buddies have been hard at work updating Johnny Dollar. And bringing him to the present day. And they have made a series of comic books where the private investigator is now a cyber security insurance investigator. <laughs> Still with a, a, an action-packed expense account. I was surprised as I was reading it just how often he wrote down his expenses for uh, <laughs> taking cabs or buying a new hat or taking a receptionist out for lunch in order to get some information from her, that kind of thing. So Alan has put this together. He is uh, sending it on his website, and they have also about to launch a Kickstarter for their third issue. And I checked it out, and I thought, oh, you know, this is a bit of fun, and it's cybersecurity-related, which I know we love to have our pick of the week's cybersecurity-related. So I thought I'd uh, give it a mention. So you can find it at johnnydollar.io if your interest has been piqued. And if you're a fan of comic books, that is where you should go. Cool.
1: Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Alan, for listening. Mark, what's your pick of the week? So mine is a website. So uh, I like uh, to cook things because, you know, I like to uh, you know stay alive, uh, so I have to eat. <laughs> and over the years, I have learned how to make food tastier than I could when I was younger. Um, and so I spend a lot of I use a lot of recipes from, uh, from the web. And I normally don't care where they come from. Normally, I'm just like, I'm going to make a thing, like I want to do some Japanese fish or something like that. And I'll just mm-hmm. I'll Google it and a recipe will come up. And sometimes they are really good and sometimes they are not really good. Uh, and they always have that great long like, life story at the beginning, the, the, the SEO blurb that <laughs> yeah. everybody has to put into pad out there. Surely everyone could just agree to scrap that. Like Google, what are you doing? Just like if it's got recipe on the page, just ignore everything before that, please. Um, (laughs) I know, I agree. It's so painful. And and so over time, you kind of develop ideas of of which websites are good and which websites are are less good. And so when a recipe comes up, when I'm looking for something and a recipe comes up on a site that I recognize, I go, oh, you know, maybe I'll pick that one because that's that's Hmm. a good site. But I, I don't have websites where I go specifically I'll go to that website and I'll pick one of the recipes from that site because it's so good with one exception and the exception is a website called I Heart umami oh. and I, I stumbled upon it looking for a satay chicken recipe and I liked it so much I was looking for a satay chicken I could do in an air fryer and I liked it so much that I went back there and I started cooking other things that were on this website, and I've done uh, a number of dishes, like different salads and, and uh, 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 a number of dishes, <laughs> all have been really, really good. Huh. Um, so, if you want to come off as a better cook than you are, yes, um, then I cannot recommend this website. <laughs> Graham's like, check. <laughs> yeah. I cannot recommend this website highly enough because it, it will, will absolutely make your food taste like, like the best version of your food. And it's also, uh, it's all um, low carb, gluten free, which I don't care about that at all. I love gluten and um, I love carbs. Um, but, you know, if that's important to you, it's <laughs> all that. And it's, and it's it's kind of pretty keto friendly as well. Um, so it's a really, really right. lovely kind of protein rich, flavorful um, dishes from the East.
2: And the recipes are approachable, like it's not too complicated or too expensive with cray cray ingredients?
1: Yes, yes. So this is not an Ottolenghi cookbook. Um, I yep. made the mistake, somebody bought me an Ottolenghi book um, for Christmas a couple of years ago and I made the mistake. It was the simple book. I made the mistake of cooking one thing from it and it took me two hours now, 20 ingredients. And I thought, this, this
2: is not a simple recipe. Um, (laughs) This is not for me.
1: (laughs) But yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's really good kind of hearty, soulful, fairly straightforward. Like you can make it complicated, but um, yeah, it's great. Check it out. So I heart you, Mark Me. I'm on the website right
0: now. It looks very straightforward. Food looks delicious and uh, yeah, looks interesting. Nice one, Mark. I will give yeah. it a go. Crow, what's your pick of the week?
2: Um, as many of you know, I power through a lot of audiobooks. But the thing is, is it gets expensive, right? Especially if you're sick with the flu. So this past weekend, you know, I had an audiobook coming away in the background because I was super sick. I was like stuck in bed. And I had this audiobook playing and then like it's done and I kind of heard it, but I I, I didn't hear it completely. And, you know, I kind of want another one. It just gets expensive or whatever. So I'm powering through these books and uh, I see the hit on the bank account and that's what got me off my butt. And I got down to the local library and joined the local library, which is kind of sad that I haven't done that before. You guys are probably both members of libraries, probably because of kids.
0: That does tend to encourage it, but yes, save a lot of money.
2: Yeah, tell me about it. So um, I've I've been to the one in the centre of Oxford, but I haven't been to my local one, which is a kilometre away from my place. And it's a beautiful building, you know, lovely, knowledgeable people. But as part of your library access, you also have access to their audiobook selection for free. I've been using the Libby app. I don't know if either of you have ever used it. No. So it's tied with libraries. And uh, my friend, uh, it seems to be an international library app, because I have a friend in California who uses the same app for his uh, public library. And the app is stable, it's easy to use, it's not too flash. So from a usability point of view, I've been using it for about two months now, it's, I think it's pretty solid. And you can like put holds on books. You can renew if you need to. You can return early, all that stuff. And the only thing that's a bit shitty is the search function because there's a lot of stuff in libraries that may not be for everyone. Like our library seems to have a huge fantasy romance section, <laughs> which is not Hello. my area or my bag, right? <laughs> but it's difficult to remove them from searches. So they kind of crop up in um, everywhere, basically. But that said, mm. I'm loving it, um, and I've just finished uh, last night in Montreal by Emily St John Mandel, an amazing book, and I've started a new one, a classic, The Bell by Iris Murdoch. All brilliant lessons, all free, and I'm showing my support for my local library. So that is my good. pick of the week. You. Yeah, bravo. libraries. Yeah, bravo, good for you. And uh,
0: libraries aren't just good for books and audio books and things like that, but there's an awful lot of other good stuff that goes on them. For instance, if you go to your local library, you might find that they. Have special events for uh, parents with young children. So they might have a Lego club or, you know, Rhyme Time, you know, somewhere to dump your kids for an hour or so. You can get them involved and interested in the library there. And also for people who struggle with technology, if you have relatives or if, if new listeners have trouble with some of the computer issues, sometimes they have digital help sessions at a library as well where they'll help you sort out your iPad or whatever it is that you're listening to the podcast on. Make sure that you've got it all configured right.
2: And I've been to my library a few times since, and it's so quiet, and it's a beautiful building, and there's not Mm. a lot of people in there. So you can actually just get some work done, and it's quite cool. So if you need a quiet space, think about it. Libraries. Often
0: free Wi-Fi as well. If you want to set up some kind of criminal, cybercriminal enterprise, (laughs) it's a good place to do it from. Just a thought, just a thought right well that just about wraps up the show for this week mark i'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what you're up to what is the best way for folks to do
1: that Uh, you can find me on x come on Uh, don't do that you can find me on twitter at mark stockley better (laughs) and you
0: can follow us on twitter at smash insecurity no g twitter and last ever g we also have a mastodon account and don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode follow Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast app such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast.
2: And a billion thank yous to our episode sponsors, Collide and Vanta, and of course to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest list, and the entire back catalogue of more than 500, 356 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio, Bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. We're gonna be saying 500 times. Are we? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, unless you die. Are (laughs) you (laughs) dying? No. Possibly. Don't die yet. Okay, hang it on. Let's get more materials so the AI can fake you and be a fake host (laughs) and I can crack on as normal and no one will be able to tell the difference.